Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. Today I have the distinguished honor of interviewing Dr. Michael Lubelfeld. He is a father, husband, superintendent extraordinaire at North Shore School District 112, an author, podcaster, and teaches at National Lewis University and Loyola University. He is highly respected in the education circles as his positive and supportive style has redefined the field and has deeply inspired people like me. Dr. Michael Lubelfeld, who are you? Well, what an incredible intro. Thank you, my friend. That was really, really kind and really, really uplifting. I'm humbled and proud to be with you today on the podcast, and I'm so thrilled about the future landscape of leadership opportunities that we have together before us. So, Dr. Martinez, thank you for letting me be here with you today. Bless your mind. So, um, for the listeners of this show, Uh, can you walk us through your professional trajectory up to this point? Oh my gosh, I'd be, I'd be very happy to. So right now, I've just completed my 28th year in public education, which is um, something that I'm really proud of. I entered um, teaching in 1993 at Blackhawk Middle School in Bensonville, Illinois, Bensonville School District 2. And I served four years as a teacher And it was really incredible years that shaped me and guided me. And I met some inspiring leaders and mentors who have helped me uh, grow into the, the person, the human being that I am today. So huge shout out and tip of my hat to Jim Newland, uh, James R. Newland Jr., ex-Marine and a former assistant principal at Blackhawk Middle School, was a personal mentor, professional mentor and guide. In me, Jim saw leadership talents, attributes, and skills that I did not know uh, were inside of me. And around corners, Jim saw a future trajectory of my career. And I pause here after I at my four years in Bensonville, which were outstanding, to pause and say that I've tried, I've endeavored every step of my journey to take Jim's belief in me and Jim's articulation of things that I didn't realize And I've tried to pay that forward in every step of, of my, my life and my career. Following four incredible years in Bensonville, where I taught eighth grade um, U.S. history, reading uh, and civics for three years, in sixth grade, reading uh, world history uh, for one year, uh, exclusively in Spanish, too. My Spanish was the best ever in 1997. So I, I, I fear that it's gone downhill since then, but it was really amazing. Um, so it's somewhere in my brain, right? Uh, after Bensonville at Jim's urging, I came to North Shore School District 112 in Highland Park, Illinois, ironically enough, where I find myself today. And I was a teacher at Elm Place Middle School. So I walked into Elm Place at 2031 Sheridan Road And I looked around and I felt the vibe of the school before my interview. And I'm like, I hope I get the job and I can stay here forever, right? So I'm interviewed by like 15 people, very intimidating interview process. They offer me the job. So I leave Bensonville after four years, I come down place. I'm a teacher for one year. I'm getting my Type 75 uh, principal license at Lyle University, Chicago, again, at Jim's urging. And the associate principal at Outplace, then a grade four, eight school, 
really didn't like his job or administration, and he left at the end of the year. And at Jim's urging, I tossed my hat in the ring, figuring there's no way this one-year teacher in the setting and this, you know, five-year teacher in the career is going to be an associate principal. Well, uh, careful what you wish for, right? In 1998, I became the associate principal at Elm Place Middle School. And from 98 to um, uh, 2002, we transitioned the school from 4-8 to 5-8 to 6-8. Principal retired, and I really wanted to be the principal there. I was in my fifth year in the school, so I tossed my head in the ring and another very competitive process, and I became the principal at Elm Place Middle School. Served for four more years in, in a 6-8 uh, superintendent transition, and after nine years at Elm Place, the assistant soup for personnel services retired and I threw my hat in the ring. Now I'm going to pause here for a minute Ephraim, because here's what happened. I had a very successful principalship, very successful associate principalship, very successful teaching. And I had my foundation from Bensonville. I was very proud, very happy. The superintendent had three principals vying for this job, myself and two other colleagues. I didn't tell anybody I was vying for the job. The other two did. I kept myself quiet, kept my mouth shut. The superintendent selected a guy from Michigan who she really wanted, but he couldn't afford to live in this area and chose not to come. So the other two principals were public about their application. I was quiet. She reposted it. The posting, I swear, felt like six months of job posting. Finally, I go through the process again and she offers me the job and she downgrades the title from assistant soup to director. She downgrades the salary to like 1500 more than I was making as principal. And she's like, well, what do you think? I said, where do I sign? <laughs> so she took a chance on me and I was okay with it, right? Um, I earned her respect, I earned her favor. I was assistant soup um, within a year or so, personal services, I learned everything and um and then some served for four years uh very proudly very honorably and then i i wanted to uh be a superintendent and i wanted to experience the world and with the help of the then superintendent here i went to the benoyer school district 79 in norridge in cook county it's a one school school district a uh, special place really neat place down the street from um uh uh, uh, school district in Chicago Public Schools because Nor Norridge is, is engulfed by Chicago Public Schools and then Park Ridge. I uh, learned how to be a superintendent and then went to Deerfield where uh, my wife Stephanie and I have been raising our children for the past 17 years. I was superintendent at Deerfield, worked with some amazing, amazing folks. Um, and now, uh, five years after that, I was called back home to North Shore School District 112, where I've probably served for the past three years as superintendent, and I look forward to my fourth year. So please pardon me for my long-winded answer. I'm old. I got a lot of stuff going but on. That's amazing. Oh, that story. What a beautiful journey. Thank you for say, uh, for sharing that, Mike. So like in Back to the Future, and you can pick any of the positions, what would be one or two things you will tell to yourself? Being the associate principal at Elm Place when we transitioned from 5-8, excuse me, to 5-8 to 6-8 was a very special time for me because I got to really see how change impacts teachers, how change impacts students and families, and how a principal 
or an associate principal, a building leader is a pivotal cog in the district wheel. And I had my eyes opened and I learned so much. And then if I had to say, I can go back to being a principal, I realized I knew nothing. I thought I knew everything. I had a lot of keys and I knew where the doors were, but I didn't know anything. And that sense of uncertainty that really keeps me alive has stayed with me my entire career. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing because it keeps me fresh, alive, and really motivated. It's a bad thing because after, you know, a couple years of making change or doing this, um, I crave a little more uncertainty. So you got to balance that out a little bit. And as you get older, you try to calm down a little bit, but not too much. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Mike, uh, this is a broad question. Who do you learn from? I learn from students and teachers. I learn from fellow administrators and parents. I learn from people like Michael Fullen and Robert Marzano. Um, I learn from Pedro Neguera. I learn from presidents who've long since passed us, U.S. presidents and world leaders who've long since passed us. And I try to take the good of their work and I try to take the meaning of their experiences and their timeliness, and I try to synthesize it into creating conditions for maximum growth for students and support for teachers and uh, the educational stakeholders. Wow, I love that you try to synthesize the good to bring it to the students. Thank you, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, Mike, who is or who are your biggest influences? That is such a good question. Oh, my God. You know, probably my parents and grandparents. You know, it's interesting, Ephraim. I'm a second-generation American. My parents were born in Chicago, but all four of their parents were born outside of this country. One of my grandmothers was actually an illegal immigrant back in the 1900s, and she got amnesty in the 20s. Um, I have grandparents who have... Uh, well, my own grandfather who came from Romania had a uh, fourth grade education, nine years old, and he left really oppression and just a horrible, horrible environment in the old country. And when he was 15, his father sent him to uh, New York, literally in a boat. It's a total Ellis Island story. And I can't even imagine the resiliency that that man had. Came here, worked, God knows what, brought his sisters and brothers over typical like old school you know new york tenement tale somehow got himself to chicago met my grandmother who was the illegal immigrant who knew english though because she came here when she was two so she was the only one in the neighborhood that knew english again all these crazy stories two of them built a beautiful life and then the depression robbed them of everything uh, my mother their youngest child was born in 1936 never knew you know the depths of that sort of uh, tragedy but then my grandfather lived to like 88 years old and worked and always did stuff so if i'm going to say my parents and grandparents their influences are somehow embedded in my dna right somehow hard work work ethic um you know crazy resiliency and just focus and drive um and on my dad's side too They came here when they you know, had nothing and left um, oppression and did the best they could, suffered through the depression, made ends meet, you know, kind of did what they could do. Um, so that's kind of my family foundation. 
I'm also uh, influenced by professors at, at University of Illinois Chicago, where I earned my bachelor's degree in political science and a minor in criminal justice. Professors like Twiley Barker Jr. and Kevin Lyles, Andrew McFarland, who not only taught me about the effects of systemic and oppressive racism as persons, as human beings, and also showed me the kindness and humanity as teachers. Um, by one, one example, Andrew McFarland called me at home. I had forgotten to complete some of the longhand essay of a final exam, and he called me at home and said, you probably just forgot. Why don't you just take me through it instead of just giving me the D or the F because I didn't do it. He saw more in me. So again, these are influences, right? People that influence me. And then in education, which by the way, was not really a choice that I knew I was going to make. I thought I was going to either be a lawyer or work for the Rand Corporation, the Chicago Council of Foreign Relations. So I give people like Jim Newland, who've been mentors for me, or Richard Volz, uh, Mort Sherman, friends like Nick Poliak, uh, everybody at the IASA, Brent Clark, everybody at the AASA who've influenced me over these years, Dan Dominich, so many more I'm not even mentioning, so many more, who have a body of work that is so impressive and so child-centered and teacher-centered that it's really helped guide and give me a foundation. There's a guy named Brad Black from a company called Human X Ventures. He's also in this sort of mix of my personal board of directors, equipping me with tools to help select one more like my best and actually build a culture that's measured and focused on excellence. So gosh, there's so many more Efrain and I hate to leave anybody out, but I'd say core family, um, professors early on in my life before I knew what I was going to do, and then the professionals with whom um, I've been able to have my, my impact elevated. Beautiful. That, that's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that, especially about your grandparents. Uh, Mike, as you know, being successful includes being on top of our productivity, and this can mean so many things to so many people. What does it mean to you? It means doing more than is probably um, mentally healthy and doing more than makes sense to people on the outside. I, I have a Google Calendar, so it could be Outlook or anything. I happen to use the Google Calendar. I'm very disciplined in setting the appointments. I'm very disciplined in following those tasks. I'm also able to have a tolerance for ambiguity. Now, I've been an administrator for so long. One thing that defines administrators and also drives them crazy is we have a lot of tasks going on simultaneously, yet we don't always or often finish or complete them. So I'm not a checkbox guy. I'm the one that's going to want to teach a few graduate courses in the summer. I'm going to want to do some work for the professional association. I'm going to want to juggle the 20,000 things going on as the actual job of superintendent. And somehow I managed to look three months ahead, 90 day, 30 days ahead, one month and figure out where that 60 days goes. So I do have a 30, 60, 90 mentality and I'm always looking out there. Finally, as a superintendent with my amazing executive assistant, Audrey, who's we're going together for nine years we've been together. I'm blessed. Um, she's a strong, resilient woman. She keeps the 12 to 18 to 36 month view of the board meetings. So she keeps the actual wheels of the organization running I balance it all out. I thrive on a little bit of chaos, Ephraim, 
Um, I do unplug though. I don't unplug enough, but I will unplug a couple weeks a year and then I come back recharged because my pace is exhausting. Um, and as I'm getting a little bit older, it is really hard to maintain, you know, the seven or eight different jobs at once. Wow, it's so impressive. Thank you so much for sharing this. Let me follow up as an aspiring author, uh, you are more than a published author. What advice do you have uh, in terms of organizing yourself to make a book into fruition? Try to write some journal articles for the professional associations and develop the humility and open-mindedness that your writing may or may not be outstanding just because it emanates from you. And you want to have the editor say, look, I asked you for 850 words. You're giving me 1250. I said 850 and I'm asking you to get to your point. You're like, oh my gosh, okay, but I thought it was so good. And he or she is like, yeah, it's good, but I'm telling you I want this. So you get in that framework and that mindset of accepting that very blunt critical coaching and they help you get better writers. So Jay Goldman at School Administrator at AASA is awesome. The guy is old school print journalist. And he's just brutal in a really good way. Like, no, this doesn't make any sense. This is better. What, what are you trying to say? Make it better. And he, I think, takes everybody under his wings and he gets the articles right because he's exact. Do the same thing with your book pitch. You want to conceptualize your table of contents and conceptualize your beginning, middle, and end. You don't necessarily write a book in order. You might want to write your conclusion first to see what are you going to, what points you're trying to make. And then you go to your book publishers and you accept with open mind, open heart, and open eyes and humility that they may not see the story that you're putting forth as all that interesting and they may reject you. Embrace the rejection. I try to explain that to my children. Embrace the rejection. You find the fit with the author and the publisher who understands and embraces your message and is going to help you become a better writer. And again, try to get to the point and have critical friends who are going to read it and be honest with you and be like, this is amazing or this is really boring. You got to fix it and take that, take that inspiration from your colleagues, friends and the professionals and know you do have a story to tell. So unlock it. But some of us need help figuring out how to tell that story. Beautiful. Key suggestion. Very wise. Embrace the rejection. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. Uh, follow up question now in terms of the podcast. You have this uh, podcast that, you know, is only audio, you know, and, you know, it has its limitations, of course. Uh, what advice do you have for us that are creating this podcast? Um, oh, my gosh. Okay, so at work, I've got a director of communications, Nicholas Glenn. Nicholas just uh, helped District 112 get an award of gold medal from the National School of Public Relations Association. We're extremely proud. So with Nicholas's vision and help and with my um, desire to communicate 10 times more than I think I need to in my job as, as a superintendent and as a, a professional contributor to the field, I, I hope, you know, I believe in print communication, email communication, the website, video messaging. I believe in social media, heavy on Twitter, but I also believe in the other uh, modes of communication there. And audio podcasts are so fascinating and so popular and such a neat way for someone to get messaging fast, right? So the podcast, like my blog, is a periodic 
communication mode that is designed to get people in their space if they want to hear the messaging verbally, auditorily. So you usually see a similar, like the same or a similar message coming from the superintendent's office and from the school email, maybe a some more newsletter on the website. You may have seen a board presentation. Then you're also going to see maybe a blog post, a video message, and then the podcast. They're all interdependent. They're all intertwined. But what's cool about the podcast, I can also feature a few teachers and have a like a one-off interview. I can interview some students. I can highlight or go into a special project or special assignment about construction and the purposes for it. And I can also use it as like a news piece of the district. In addition, I can use a service like rev.com, rev.com, and I can get an English transcription for the hearing impaired and I can get a Spanish uh, transcription for people for whom Spanish is the preferred language. So on my blog, I will have a series of podcasts that have uh, oral or audio, and then they'll also have the um, print transcript. It's just another way to communicate. There's no one way, there's no best way. I think as many ways as we can get the messaging out and get the word out is what I try to promote as a leader. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Very inspiring. And uh, the last follow-up question, Mike. Um, uh, I one of the podcasts that I was able to hear, you were talking about the vision of the district. And one thing that really marked me was when you said that the district is limitless. Can you tell the audience more about uh, that vision of your school district? Yes. Our motto is inspire, innovate, and engage. And everything we do should be under that umbrella that we are here for inspiration. We adults are designed to support the other adults so they can inspire the children to be inspired and to inspire. We are here to innovate. Innovation can be anything. It can be technology. It can also be old school paper and print. It doesn't matter, but it's innovative. It's something that is designed, as George Kuros would say, to do something better, different, and better. Not just different, you know. Um, and we engage. We have got to find out what is on the minds of the people today. Our students have one opportunity to complete second grade, fifth grade, eighth grade. They have one chance to be engaged. There's no limits on them. We have resources here from our very, very generous community. We are a 90% reliance on property tax community. We're tier four from the state funding and we get some federal dollars We have a combination of Title I, um, and we also have a combination of highly affluent fundraising parent organizations and a foundation. We have the resources. We have a can-do spirit. We have a yes-we-can spirit. We have a not-yet spirit. Every child in every grade level should be able to maximize their potential. His, her, or their potential should be able to be maximized. We have amazing teachers here. We have a really dedicated and amazing support staff. We have a lot of administrators with great training and background. We have a board that celebrates and supports learning first and foremost. We have a parent community that is second to none. They're highly engaged, highly educated, highly motivated. Um, and you've got a leadership philosophy that is, let's do it. So students need support in reading and writing, great. Let's get reading and writing. Students need support in creative problem solving, great. Let's get some more problem solving. Students need a more greater infusion of hands-on uh, STEM and technology. Let's create it for them, let's do it. 
it is a really exciting place to be. It's a challenging place to be, but it's an exciting place to be. Beautiful. Thank you. So inspiring. Uh, Mike, this has been such a great conversation. Anything else you would like to add for the listeners of the show? I am beyond excited that you are joining us as a principal, effective July 1st at, at uh, Northwood Middle School, um, our modernized brand new facility with uh, Google and LinkedIn like small group rooms for any kind of learning any day. Um, North Shore School District 112 is serving Highland Park, Highwood, and the town of Fort Sheridan. We have a proud history of serving children from the United States uh, military, and we're grateful to their parents for the service to our country. We have children for whom English is their first language. We have children for whom English is their second or third language, and we're grateful for that which makes us special and unique. And um, I'm very proud to be a superintendent. I'm proud to have successfully completed 28 years in Illinois public education. And I look forward to what the future has to hold for all of us. Thank you. So blessed that I feel I will be joining the North Shore and Northwood family. Thank you so much. This has been Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. Peace and come.